The Whole Health Cure with Dr. Sharon Berquist, the podcast that brings you inspiration and skills for living a healthy and fulfilled life. Welcome to the Whole Health Cure podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Sharon Berquist. On this podcast, we explore the science and provide inspiration and skills for living your happiest, most fulfilling, and healthiest life. On this episode, we'll be talking about the connection between cardiac disease and rheumatologic diseases. I'm joined by Dr. Izioma Iziodenso. Dr. Iziodenso is a cardiologist at the Emory Heart and Vascular Center and Associate Professor of Medicine at Emory University School of Medicine. Dr. Iziodenso earned a dual degree in medicine and public health during medical school. She joined the faculty at Emory in 2010 after completing her internal medicine residency in cardiology fellowship at Temple University Hospital. She's board certified in general cardiology, nuclear cardiology, and echocardiography. She's the director of the Emory Heart Disease Prevention Center. She's a dedicated educator and serves as a CME course co-director for both the Emory Symposium on Coronary Atherosclerosis Prevention and Education Conference and the annual Emory Woman in Heart Disease Conference. She serves as the director of the Emory Women's Heart Center at Decatur and Lithonia. She's passionate about preventing heart disease in women. Izuyama, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. It's my pleasure. So I want to start by asking you to explain what rheumatologic diseases are. Yeah, I think that's an excellent question. I think the best way to answer that is just to start by defining what some of these systemic autoimmune diseases are, because that's how we think of these rheumatologic conditions. And the best way to think of it is these are diseases where the immune system attacks our own body cells. So under normal circumstances, the immune system is your safeguard. Think of it as your defense shield. Um, When it identifies any sort of foreign matter, whether it's bacteria or viruses, it sends out these wonderful helper cells to attack it and then get rid of it. And that's how you take care of infections and inflammation. Unfortunately, with the autoimmune diseases, your own body cells mistakenly are identified as foreign. And so these helper cells, these immune um, cells go by and they attack your body, unknowingly thinking that it is something that is foreign and it is here to do damage. And that's what causes diseases, whether it's in the joints, the skin, the eyes, or even the heart. And and what are some examples of rheumatologic diseases? Exactly. So some examples that certainly I see within my clinical practice are lupus. Lupus is very common, especially more so in women than men and tends to affect African-American women more than it does white women. Rheumatoid arthritis. I know most of your listeners have heard of that disorder as well. That is an example of an autoimmune disease Others that people may not know as well are psoriatic arthritis, systemic sclerosis, and even lesser known ankylosis and spondylitis. And the reason I mentioned those ones in particular is because those autoimmune rheumatologic diseases are associated with increased risk of cardiovascular disease. 
Interesting. And, and what's the connection? Like, how does rheumatologic disease like lupus mm -hmm. increase the risk for heart disease? That's a really tough one because even with all of our advances in science, we don't know exactly how it causes an increased risk of cardiovascular disease, but we have some hypotheses. So one is that the inflammation in and of itself causes damage to the heart muscle and actually even the lining of the arteries. So what we'll typically see is that people who have rheumatoid arthritis or lupus are more likely to have atherosclerosis or the development of plaque in the arteries. And it's because of some of that same inflammation that occurs as part of the immune system's response actually causes atherosclerosis to develop. Some of the other things we know are even the medications that are used to treat people to decrease and quiet down that inflammation, whether it's non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs or even steroids, which are so helpful to this inflammatory process, those too can increase the risk of plaque formation and other cardiovascular diseases that we see in this patient population. So although we don't know which one plays a role, we actually believe that it's the combination of all of these things, the inflammation, sometimes the medications, and actually the typical, what we call traditional risk factors for cardiovascular disease. We have found that in patients with lupus or rheumatoid arthritis, they have more of these traditional risk factors. So if I can go into it further, a, a traditional risk factors we know that even in a patient without lupus or rheumatoid arthritis that are associated with cardiovascular disease are hypertension, diabetes, obesity, smoking, physical activity, certainly, and high cholesterol. The problem is in patients with rheumatoid arthritis and lupus, they are more likely to have high blood pressure, high cholesterol. They're more likely, they found even in people with rheumatoid arthritis to be smokers, and we're not entirely sure why, but understandably, they are more likely to be overweight or not as active just by the nature of their disease process. When you have a flare, which we call when you have an acute, um, acute in inflammation uh, incident, you are not likely, you don't feel like going to exercise because you hurt so bad. Now, if you have a lot of these flares through the years, then you're more likely to be overweight. And when you're not exercising consistently, it is much more difficult to get started. I should also include male gender is a traditional risk factor for cardiovascular disease. Although, as I mentioned, rheumatoid arthritis and lupus tend to happen more in women compared to men. But certainly family history is a strong risk factor for cardiovascular disease. Um, if you've had a family history of a male first degree relative who had heart disease before the age of 55, or a woman who had heart disease before the age of 65, that too is a risk factor for you for developing cardiovascular disease. So that's really interesting. So the connection is either direct through mm -hmm. inflammation or indirect by association of more of the risk factors that we associate with heart disease. I'm, I'm really fascinated by the fact that you mentioned it's the inflammation as well as the treatment of the inflammation, mm -hmm. because, you know, we usually think of anti-inflammatory treatment 
or reducing inflammation as a way of reducing risk. Um, is there any um, information known about why the medications are causing rather than reducing the risk of heart disease here? Yeah, that's, that's a challenging one. I think what we know if I take the non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs is that we have seen in patients who are on NSAIDs that it can even cause hypertension in those who don't have hypertension. And among those who do already have a history of hypertension or high blood pressure, that it can possibly even worsen their high blood pressure. It also causes fluid accumulation. So we know that people who are on NSAIDs can have swelling in their legs and they may actually, if their heart pumping function is not normal, it actually can cause them to really become short of breath from the fluid accumulation. The steroids is, is a big one because that is actually usually the mainstay treatment for people who have these autoimmune conditions because you really wanna keep that inflammation quiet as much as possible. And so while they do need to be on steroids, we have seen that that can actually cause the atherosclerosis to even worsen. And it can actually worsen your cholesterol levels. So here you've got a drug that it's supposed to be helping you, as you said, but can potentially worsen things. And that's been a challenge that I see in my practice. And I work very closely with the rheumatologists with this, as well as my patients. And so when we tell them that there is a risk that things might get worse, I am here to help you to make sure your blood pressure is under control. I am here to check your cholesterol on a consistent basis and make sure that if we need to treat that with medication, in addition to lifestyle changes such as exercise, eating healthy and maintaining a healthy weight, that we can do that. But the biggest threat really to an individual who has rheumatoid arthritis, lupus, any of these conditions, is just having inflammation that is completely out of control. We can control your blood pressure and cholesterol, but if we don't get that inflammation on, under control, that is one particular factor that can really cause progression of your cardiovascular disease, as well as your autoimmune condition in and of itself. So when you, know, when you mention inflammation, it seems like the medications that their side effects seem to outweigh the um, benefit of the anti-inflammatory portion when it comes to risk for heart disease. How does lifestyle factor in? You know, we know that lifestyle can reduce inflammation, i.e. through an anti-inflammatory diet and exercise. Um, but if we compare the effect of um, reducing inflammation through lifestyle measures versus, say, through medication. Um, is one any more effective than the other? Really tough. Um, I, I would have to actually say that I, I don't think that the side effects of the medication outweigh the benefit because in some individuals, they really can't control that inflammation without the assistance of medications. However, lifestyle modification, whether it's healthy diet, that is so important because there's no medication that can outdo what a healthy lifestyle can do. And so when I am seeing patients, I really advocate for a healthy diet. I typically recommend the Mediterranean diet, something that's lower in fats and you're eating a lot more of the healthy fats um, and exercise. I think we underestimate 
the importance of just remaining physically active and decreasing obesity because of the inflammatory milieu that's there in people who are obese as well. And I have found that patients have been open to that. I think the challenge is that when we look at individuals who have these autoimmune conditions, sometimes they can be so sick and in so much pain. And they've been through this for years that sometimes even depression plays a role and there may not be as much motivation to get started. And so you really have to partner with the patients. Sometimes I even send my patients to see a clinical dietitian to talk about an anti-inflammatory diet and what they can do just with changing their lifestyle to help keep that inflammation at bay. And it's definitely doable. Mm -hmm. And is there a way to um, measure the inflammation that you would recommend uh, for people to track how they're doing? Yeah, one of the things that we do is we look at CRP levels, the C-reactive protein, which tells you about a person's inflammation. There's also the ESR, erythrocyte sedimentation ratio. Um, a lot of the rheumatologists will follow that as well to see if a patient is having an acute flare that goes along with the symptoms that they're reporting. So we do follow that. I would say certainly I work with the rheumatologist closely because they will adjust medications based on those levels. I specifically continue to focus on, especially if they need to adjust the dose of prednisone because of an, an acute flare, what that means with their blood pressure, cholesterol, fluid accumulation, and their physical activity level. So those are the two markers that are often followed to see if a patient's inflammation is increased or if it's well controlled on their current regimen and lifestyle. Mm -hmm. and, and you mentioned um, you know, cholesterol or atherosclerosis mm -hmm. as one of the types of heart disease that um, can occur in people with rheumatologic conditions. Are there other ways that um, rheumatologic conditions are associated with heart disease? Absolutely. The one thing about these autoimmune diseases is that they don't discriminate where they can affect. And it really depends on what part of the heart is affected. And so it can affect just the lining of the heart called the pericardium, causing inflammation there, which we call pericarditis. And usually these individuals will present with chest pain, really bad chest pain if they're even just taking a deep breath. They don't have to do anything to be feeling that pain. It can actually cause fluid accumulation around the heart. So if you think about when you injure your knee and you've got even an arthritis flare there in your knee, it gets swollen, hot, and tender. The same thing can happen around the heart. If there's inflammation there, you can have some fluid accumulate around the heart. So it can also affect the heart muscle where the heart is unable to pump enough blood or oxygen in order to meet the body's demands. And that can manifest as a person, a heart pumping function being decreased or the heart muscle is actually stiff where it tends to hold on to fluid and back up into the tissues and organs. Then it can also affect the valves where the heart valves, which allow blood to go from one chamber to the next, become thickened and they may not move as well. They may not open as well, or they can have an issue with closing so that the blood actually leaks back into another chamber of the heart 
and patients can feel short of breath. And then lastly, inflammation can actually affect the blood vessels themselves where you get atherosclerosis because of the damage that those inflammatory cells have on the lining of the arteries and it can cause plaque to form resulting in blockages in the arteries. And most individuals in this particular case will complain of chest pain. Some of you may have heard the word angina. And it actually, it can progress to the point where some of that plaque can rupture and a patient can have a heart attack. Interestingly, there's also, it's more common in individuals who have these autoimmune conditions to have spasming of the arteries. So they won't all have blockages, but especially in women, we'll see the arteries spasm, so they constrict. And again, you can't have enough blood flow or oxygen going through the arteries to the heart muscle, and that individual will also complain of chest pain. So that's the one thing with this inflammation. It can affect so many different parts of the heart and cause so many different symptoms. Right. And, and so if a person has an autoimmune disease, what can they do to prevent all the things that you just described? I think the first thing is what this podcast is doing is just increasing awareness, not just among the individuals who have these autoimmune conditions, but also amongst providers. So we know that patients are at greater risk. So if you have lupus, rheumatoid arthritis, psoriatic arthritis, talking to your physician proactively just to get screened, like what is my risk for heart disease? Are there things that I should be doing? I think that's where a cardiologist like myself, a preventative cardiologist comes into play where we can do a full assessment. A, your weight, are you at goal weight? What do we need to get you there? including changing your diet, getting you to exercise more. What about your blood pressure? Is your blood pressure at goal right now? And if not, what do we need to do again with lifestyle changes? And if that fails after a good effort, adding medications, checking your cholesterol on an annual basis. Again, we're on these medications that can impact your cholesterol level. So we should definitely be keeping an eye on that on an annual basis. And I think, again, is just making sure the word gets out about an individual's risk and just being as proactive and constantly staying on top of those factors that can be modified. That's really the key thing. Mm -hmm. and, um, and does this also apply to other autoimmune conditions? I know you mentioned rheumatologic and the potential link being the inflammatory system. Um, how about, um, you know, other autoimmune diseases, I'm thinking of maybe inflammatory bowel, et cetera. Um, they may have some rheumatologic manifestations or some may not. Do you know if they're um, also gonna put a person at increased risk of heart disease? We certainly know that with inflammatory bowel disease that there is an increase of cardiovascular disease, but we don't have enough uh, data in the literature to understand specifically what their risks are and how they manifest. For example, we don't know if they're more prone to have heart failure or atherosclerosis, but we do know that there has been data there that shows that they also are at increased cardiovascular risk. This really is a growing field. The field of cardiorheumatology 
is fairly new. And I think your question actually points to the fact that we need more studies looking at this patient population because they're so diverse. There's so many autoimmune conditions that each one of them can affect the heart so differently. For example, patients who have rheumatoid arthritis are twice as likely to have coronary artery disease and heart failure compared to those who don't have rheumatoid arthritis. But when you look at lupus, the most common presentation of heart disease in a patient who's lupus under the age of 35 is actually a heart attack. So even just amongst those two disease processes, it's so different. Um, so we're hoping that really we can continue to move this field forward with more scientific studies so that we learn more. This is definitely a patient population that is often neglected, underdiagnosed when it comes to their cardiovascular risk and their cardiovascular risk factors. And more importantly, when we do identify some of those risk factors, they're often undertreated, which is a disservice to them for sure. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, there's a lot of interest in the gut microbiome as a way of controlling inflammation. Um, and, you know, you'd mentioned anti-inflammatory diet. Um, is there any information available about dietary modifications to the gut microbiome or ways we can use our gut microbiome to help reduce the risk of heart disease? To be honest, that I'm not really sure of. Usually in our field, what we recommend um, is adherence to the Mediterranean diet because that has been shown overwhelmingly year in and year out to reduce one's risk of cardiovascular disease. But specific to the microbiome and reduction of cardiovascular risk, that I'm not entirely sure of. Mm -hmm. And are there specific components of the Mediterranean diet that you think are, are particularly important? Yeah, absolutely. I think certainly limiting one's intake of sugar, certainly increasing your intake of the healthy fats. You know, fats are not our enemy. There used to be a time when we thought fat was the enemy. You have to have a very, very low fat diet. But fat such as avocados, the use of olive oil, canola oil, those certainly will increase your omega-3 uh, levels. And so we, your sources of omega-3 fatty acids. And so we definitely recommend that. We definitely eat much more sugar and unhealthy carbohydrates uh, compared to any other population. And we do not eat as much vegetables. I have patients who certainly spend a lot of time eating foods that are already pre-packaged simply because of the convenience and, and the cost. I understand, especially during this time period that we're in, that people may have lost their jobs and it is tougher from their perspective to cook and eat healthy. But I tell people it's a better investment to eat healthy now than to have to pay for the cost of long-term healthcare from chronic disease processes. And that tends to be helpful. I can't underscore the assistance of the clinical dietitians. What I usually tell my patients is I'd like you to take a picture of what you're eating for the next one week, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and write a diary. Sometimes we over or really underestimate how much of a carbohydrate we're eating and overestimate how healthy our foods are. But the biggest things are portion control and really understanding how to eat a balanced meal. So when they take those pictures to the clinical dietitian and have the diary, they can work with them. 
especially in, in some individuals where we're looking at cultural's, um, cultural norms. And so maybe a, a, a healthy diet among somebody who is African-American may not be what a typical white American may eat or what somebody who's Asian. I, I am Nigerian and certainly what a Nigerian diet is is very different from an American diet. And we have to take that into account. We just can't make blanket statements of what one should be eating if that's not something that's gonna be sustainable for them and their family. Mm -hmm. That's really good advice. And, and Isyama, you've done a lot of work in heart disease prevention. How did you get interested in rheumatology and heart disease? That's, that's a great question. I've got to tell you, I actually um, was seeing a lot of women was being, I was actually being referred a lot of women who had rheumatoid arthritis and lupus who were very young and kept complaining of chest pain. And they would go to the emergency room over and over again. And because they were young, they would get dismissed. This is all in your head. I'm, I'm telling you probably 80% of them were classified as having anxiety, but they had real disease. I have a 29 year old patient who has had she didn't have a heart attack, she had chest pain and we found that she had a significant blockage in one of her major arteries and her only risk factor was lupus. Um, and so that's how I became interested in this field is just seeing these women who felt like no one was listening to them. They had real symptoms and they were going to the emergency room. It started to affect their quality of life, certainly financially as well. And as I started to look into it more, I found that there was a greater population, a greater percentage of individuals who had these diseases who actually had true and true cardiac complaints and reached out to the rheumatologists and we started working together and it's been the best part of my career, I have to say. Wow, that's, that's really fascinating, you know, especially um, that it can affect young people who typically um, can get misdiagnosed because they're not the traditional stereotypic person that would have heart disease. Absolutely. And I think one thing that we as clinicians need to be aware of is that young individuals and especially women don't have the typical symptoms of heart disease when we are truly having cardiac disease. And so while chest pain remains the most common symptom of heart disease amongst men and women, women are more likely to have fatigue, shortness of breath, nausea, just sweating profusely suddenly, even arm pain as their manifestation of heart disease. And many a patient have been misdiagnosed or have had delayed treatment because they weren't picked up early. In fact, the 29-year-old that I mentioned, she had nausea for almost 24 hours before she finally went to the ER. And she was having a lot of chest pain when she finally got there. But they said, for sure, you can't be having a heart attack. There's no way. You're just so young. And they did an ultrasound of her heart and found that her heart pumping function was not normal. Then they said, oh, there's got to be another reason. And when we pushed and she was taken to the cardiac catheterization lab and they looked, we were all stunned to find that she had a major blockage. I think that's part of the education of both patients and providers is that we recognize these atypical symptoms so that we can continue to reduce the cardiovascular events in these patient populations. Mm -hmm. 
Isjama, this is really wonderful information and, and you really superbly described this connection and increased everyone's awareness. With the time we have left, um, is there anything that you would like to add on this topic that we haven't had a chance to talk about? I think I would just drive home a few points. Number one, understanding that there is a relationship between autoimmune diseases and heart disease. And once we know that, then we as providers need to certainly screen our patients consistently and patients need to ask their providers, am I at risk? What is my risk? And what can I do to decrease my risk? Finally, when we do identify those risk factors that can be changed, I mean, we can't reverse lupus or rheumatoid arthritis in an individual. We can control it. But there are things that we can treat and reverse. If someone has high blood pressure, if someone has diabetes, someone has high cholesterol, we can treat that aggressively so that we reduce their risk as much as possible. I think those are probably the three points I'd like to drive home, which would make a big difference in this field. Yeah, thank you so much. I um, enjoyed having you as a guest and really appreciate all the work that you're doing and all the information you provided us today. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a great pleasure. The Whole Health Cure is brought to you by Emory Lifestyle Medicine and Wellness. For more information about wellness assessments, classes, and other resources, please visit our website, emoryhealthcare.org livewell. This material is copyrighted by Emory University.